six years ago now, I was doing the four pass loop outside of Aspen and I was living in DC at sea level at the time and we were planning to do the four pass loop as a single day run and I got serious altitude sickness and specifically I got high altitude cerebral edema, high altitude pulmonary edema, and then severe hyponatremia. And um, I was in a coma for several days, Mountain Rescue Aspen saved my butt. And yeah, so that's sort of in a nutshell what happened and definitely that uh, reoriented my my way of seeing the world and, and, and also you know, my own stance on, on life. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. We are proud to share that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Puma. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, we're fans of Puma and have been really impressed with their efforts to support and foster the running community. We're excited to partner with a brand that has such a rich history in sports and that cares deeply about the running community. Puma believes that sometimes all it takes is a spark to make a change, to get motivated, or to try something new or hard. And we couldn't agree more. All we need is that small spark and the actions will follow to get us there. With that small flicker, anything is possible. Puma Running Shoes offers supreme cushioning, superior propulsion, comfort, and lightweight technology. I've been running in the DV8 Nitro first mile, and I love how it has a focus on sustainability. The shoe feels amazing, and even better, it's in collaboration with First Mile. It's made from at least 20% recycled material, as First Mile's focus is on cutting down plastic waste in production and in the supply chain by finding innovative ways to get recycled plastic into products like Puma Running Shoes. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run for 20% off any Puma Run or Train products. When you support Puma, you support me and the rest of the For the Long Run podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for sponsoring us. I have a super important question for you. Are you giving your body the nutrients it needs to help bolster and protect your immune system? How do you know? Friends, I'm here to help you eliminate the guesswork with two products that have had a huge impact on keeping me healthy and strong during my training and races that I strongly encourage you to try. Prevenex Probiotic and Prevenex Immune Health Plus are powerhouse products that can help you perform at your best and keep you healthy, especially as we move into a season where bugs that can take you down are everywhere. Use code FTLR for 15% off your purchase at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. We are psyched to announce a new partner of the podcast, Lauren Daniels. Lauren is a realtor helping buyers and sellers in the greater Denver and Boulder area and beyond and has been a good friend of mine for a few years now. When I decided I wanted to buy a place in Boulder and put down roots here, I was completely overwhelmed by the home buying process. Lauren was already a good friend, so when we first talked about home buying, I felt a huge sense of relief. She's a neighborhood expert, has an incredible attention to detail, available for any and all questions, and made what could be a very difficult process super easy. And now we've got a beautiful home in Boulder. It's close to the trails with a big backyard for Alfie and views of the Flatirons. So if you're even considering buying a home in the area or anywhere, I highly recommend working with Lauren. You can reach her at ldaniels at milehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehighmodern.com. Thanks so much to Lauren for supporting the podcast and helping us continue to grow and for all those miles together.
And we're back. We've got Wookie Kim joining me from North Shore, Hawaii. Where, yeah, beautiful place. The the waves are rolling, um, and we're we're here in Hawaii. Yeah. The first question of this podcast is always a tough one, uh, so we'll start there. Who is who is Wookie? Who is Wookie? Well, you know, I think I guess I can use my Instagram tagline, which is that I'm a husband and civil rights lawyer who also likes running lots of trails. Nice. So that, that, that's who I am in a nutshell. Cool, we're gonna unpack all of that. So your husband, you're a civil rights lawyer, you're a runner, all of the above. Um, do you remember your first run? First run, um, probably, I mean, first running race, de I definitely remember that, but I don't know about my first run. I mean, I guess I played some sports growing up, yep. but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I wasn't very athletic growing up and my parents, you know, encouraged me to play different sports, but um, I guess I was active and, and moving about and it wasn't until high school that I really started running once I realized I was a failed soccer, aspiring soccer player who yep. had no coordination. <laughs> so, yeah. So a few years have, have gone by, you've gotten into trail running. Yep. Um, where, where did that come from? So I think trail running, where that came from is just wanting to always test my limits and, and push further. And I had spent a few years focusing on, you know, road marathoning and uh, decided that, you know, I wanted to try the, the ultra marathon world or to try to enter that world. And um, I think really I wanted to explore the world as well. You know, I think getting out on the trails is one of the best ways to see the world Anything, out there. Yeah. yeah so. So you dove right in and what was, what was it like? You said you came from a road marathon background. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at first I just wanted to, to finish. And I, the first, first ultra I did was the JFK 50. And that was tough because I wasn't used to running on trails at all. And the, the portion on the AT, I sprained my ankle early on in the race. So basically hobbled through <laughs> the rest of hobbled through the rest of the race, but um, it was just such a exhilarating experience to to go, you know, double the distance that I'd previously yeah. gone before. And, you know, I guess I'm always, you know, trying to test my limits further. And, yeah. you know, that ended up going, uh, progressed to the hundred mile distance. And that's sort of where I've landed. And I don't really want to go longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy that people do, but people do. Um, so, Okay, you're lined up at the JFK 50. That was your first ultra distance. Many people will go marathon to 50K to 50 mile and beyond. You went marathon to 50 mile on a gnarly competitive course and race. Do you remember the feelings you had at that starting line? Definitely a lot of nerves. Uh, I think the JFK 50 is one of the larger races. And so it still had a road road race vibe. Um, there are, what, 10,000 10, people to do it or a thousand? Oh, it's a few thousand. 5,000, yeah. couple th I think it's a couple thousand, it. so it's not, it's not in the five figures. But, uh, you know, that was in 2015, was it 2015 or 2016? So a while ago now at this point, but, you know, I don't really remember, the, I don't really remember the details. It was definitely, uh, very, I was very nervous and, um, my, but my only goal was to just cross that finish line, yep. which I, I accomplished. So I'm proud of that. <laughs> so I've seen you cross one finish line. It was Run Rabbit in yep. 2019. You promised to swear off of 100 milers. I believe your words were, I'm never fucking doing that again or, <laughs> or something similar. 
Um, talk to me about the hundred mile distance and, and what, what is it about it that, that you seem to like? That's a good question. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I think, I think it's sort of that distance just long enough where you get to see two sunrises. And that to me is sort of the threshold of something truly epic. You know, I remember doing my first hundred and being moved to tears when, when I entered my second sunrise of the race. Um, but you know, hundred is a nice, pleasing uh, number aesthetically, and the idea of doing roughly four marathons in a in a day is also cool. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I never really, I never really set out necessarily to to hit the hundred mile distance. But I've always wanted to push myself further, and you know, I've done a variety of different. I, I, I did an Ironman triathlon when I was still a teenager, and I was one of the youngest um, finishers of that. Ironman in Wisconsin and um, biked across the country one summer and just, I, I like challenging myself in different yeah. ways. And it's always about just seeing the world, seeing, testing your limits and just really having fun out there. So a lot of people, when they use the phrase testing their limits or finding their limits, it's hyperbole and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. In a literal sense, you've literally found your limits. Uh, and, and then pushed beyond it. Do you want to talk about that for a second and, and share with the audience what, what it was like truly, first, what happened? And second, um, from what you do remember, what, what was that experience like? Sure. So uh, six years ago now, uh, I was doing the four-pass loop outside of Aspen. And uh, I was living in DC at sea level at the time. And we were planning to do the four-pass loop as a single day run. And Long story short, I had got serious altitude sickness and specifically I got cerebral, high altitude cerebral edema, high altitude pulmonary edema, and then also as a result, severe hyponatremia. And um, I was in a coma for several days, Mountain Rescue Aspen saved my butt. And um, yeah, so that's sort of in a nutshell what happened and definitely that uh, reoriented my, my way of seeing the world and, and, and also, you know, my own stance on, on life. Um, so, yeah. How did that go? How did that go down? You realized that I'm in trouble or was it like you were in trouble and then you woke up three days later? Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I'm generally pretty self-aware. I know, I, I know how I'm feeling as I'm doing events or doing races. And it was one of those things where, of course, I started feeling the altitude. I started feeling dizzy or lightheaded or getting a headache. But at a certain point, we were, you know, eight to 10 hours in. And I realized that this was not normal altitude illness because I was starting to lose my vision. Um, I was starting, the, the headache was so splitting that it was even hard to just, you know, exist. Yeah, yeah, just to be. And so I sort of had a mini panic moment, or at least with my friend that I was with, and we decided to just stop, sit, drink some water and reevaluate what our, what our plan was. But where we were located was in the valley between the second and third passes. And so there weren't really any reasonable escape options that did not require, you know, serious, strenuous- <laughs> Advanced activity. equipment. Yeah. So- that's where we found ourselves. And, you know, I, at that point, I was just determined to get off the trail, uh, but unfortunately I wasn't able to, and I went unconscious 
ironically, three quarters of a mile or so from the trailhead as we were descending back down to the to the parking lot. So, you know, if I'd hung on for another hour, I would have been, well, I would have been much better, I think, <laughs> uh, than, than, than in a coma. And So yeah. for those who don't know, a four-pass loop is you hit four 12,000-foot passes in 28-ish miles. Um, it's mostly above 10,000 feet. The beginning is at 9,500 feet, and that's the lowest point. And to come from 5,000 feet to do it felt strenuous and to come from sea level is quite a quite a tall tall task. So just framing for context there of of what what that adventure was. Um, so again, I mentioned that often use like trail runners love to use the phrase or runners love to use the phrase. Oh, I, I found my limits. Oh, I'm I love chasing my limits. I'm curious how you juxtapose that with your adventures going forward, where you've you've gone too far. You've felt what it's like to go too far. Um, that's a feeling that most people never have, or, or maybe they think they have it and whatever. Right. Um, does that come up in future adventures? Yeah. I mean, definitely I, I'm much more cognizant of risk, um, these days and I try to, you know, always have a, always have a plan. Um, but that, but that said, I mean, you, even, even since that incident, I've had some, some close calls. And, and last summer, actually, I was doing the Madahe 100 and it's out in the Badlands in North Dakota. And long story short, I also did not make it off the trail and had to be rescued. Um, there was record-breaking heat or it was extremely hot that day. And um, I just miscalculated as far as um, being prepared for the heat and um, and all of that. But Ultimately, I have been more, con- ironically, I'm, I'm saying this, that I try to be more conservative and uh, be more aware of, you know, what, what the race conditions are going to be like, what the, what the associated risks are, and uh, making sure to carry enough whatever gear, food, uh, water, nutrition. Um, and one thing that I'm planning to do in the near future is get a, you know, a Garmin in reach just so that I, I have it. And, you know, even in Hawaii, while I'm on trails that are pretty, you know, I, I don't go off the beaten path all that, all that often, there's still a lot of risk there. And, you know, you can easily fall, slip and fall and fall a thousand feet and, you know, you might not make it out alive. And in fact, a few months ago, there was a very experienced outdoorsman who, you know, super experienced hiker. He just went missing and people went out to search for him and they found his body and he'd wow. fallen a thousand feet. And, you know, there was no, no one knew exactly right. where he was and he didn't have a, a beacon or anything like that. And so um, it made me even more aware of, you know, the everyday things that I'm doing can be really risky. Um, so interestingly, my, my wife has not... <laughs> pleaded with me to stop. <laughs> I think she knows that this is going to be, you know, this is a part of me. And, but that said, I, I, I am thinking more carefully about the races that I do do. Like, I, I don't pick races with the intention of putting myself in risky situations. Um, I think what I, what I really like is seeing how far I can push my own body, but not necessarily, it's not about being in the mo- most extreme conditions. Right. I'd rather have optimal conditions right. and, and push myself in, in that context. So I have no desire to do, for example, like the bad water yeah. or, you know, I don't know, but 
Um, th things like, so I did the Hurt 100 in 2019. That's the kind of race I like because it's a lot of elevation gain, but it's a safe course and- 20 mile loop. 20 mile loop. It's right outside downtown Honolulu. So, you know, very easy access to- <laughs> You to run it all the time. Pick up Taco Bell. Yep, pick up Taco Bell on the way home from, from the loop. But um, that, that's a kind of race that excites me. It's, you know, so I, I think my parents think that somehow I like putting myself in <laughs> life-threatening situations and that's just not, that's just not true. So you talk about optimal conditions. We're here, it's February. In theory, it's winter. Uh, we've run together and, oh my God, I don't think I've ever sweat that much. <laughs> and it's February. Um, talk to me about the running community in Hawaii. You've been here for a, yeah. a couple of years. You're not from the area, but you've, you've been here for what, five years now? Been here over half a decade now, five years, yeah. So what brought you out here? Uh, what keeps you here uh, besides, I mean, it's like cloudy out and it looks, <laughs> it looks gorgeous. We, we should be on video, so hopefully, uh, hopefully some people can see what's going on behind us. We've got uh, palm trees, we've got big, big waves, and I see someone surfing. This is, this is awesome. Shout out if you're listening to this podcast on, the, on an audio format, you can now watch on YouTube, and we've also got some cool clips. So anyway, what brought you here? What keeps you here? Yeah, what brought me here was after my near-death incident, I really had to reflect on the life path that I was taking. And at the time I was working for a big corporate law firm in DC and you know, working really insane, miserable hours. And basically I just decided that I wasn't going to put off until tomorrow the things that I wanted to do today. And so at that point, I really shifted into figuring out how I was going to transition into the dream job that I, or the dream career that I wanted to pursue, which was to be a civil rights lawyer. And so I also thought about moving away from DC and moving into a community where work-life balance was valued and, and where also there was better access to the outdoors. And then finally, of course, the, the last criterion is being somewhere where there are good progressive legal civil rights job opportunities. Um, so I started applying to openings in Denver, Seattle. I was looking at Portland, Oregon, Bay Area, LA. Uh, and then at some point I, I just came across the job posting for a staff attorney position at the ACLU of Hawaii. And decided why not, ACLU is a dream organization, civil rights organization, and uh, decided to throw my, throw my name into the hat and came out for the interview and sort of fell in love with, with Honolulu and you know, the idea of being a civil rights lawyer here. And um, that was five, over five years ago and you know, never really looked back, so. And talk to me about the work, the work that you do. What, what does a day-to-day -day look like for you? Sure. So, you know, the ACLU, we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit civil rights organization. Um, I'm currently the legal director here at the ACLU of Hawaii, which is our state affiliate. Um, you know, we're a large federated organization. Um, the work that I do right now, so I lead our legal program, which means, you know, we file lawsuits, we threaten to file lawsuits. Uh, the three issues that we're sort of prioritizing are decriminalizing poverty and houselessness, uh, smart justice, which is about addressing mass incarceration, 
and then reimagining policing. So thinking about how, um, how to hold police accountable and how to also change the role of police, that we shouldn't be, as a knee-jerk reaction, calling police for, to address, you know, someone mental in mental health, health crisis yeah. or, or what have you. So, um, you know, I, I work, we have lawsuits in all of those areas, uh, several police misconduct lawsuits. We have lawsuits challenging the criminalization of houselessness where people are, are losing their property without due process. Um, and then we also have, you know, uh, we also, those aren't the only issues we work on. So uh, we have a Title IX athletics lawsuit involving the unequal treatment of the girls teams at, a, at Hawaii's largest public high school relative to the boys teams. Um, and then we also have an abortion access lawsuit involving uh, access to mifepristone, which is the, um, the one of the drugs used for medication abortions. So busy, busy docket, diverse docket, and um, but all of the work is intended to help people who are otherwise marginalized or you know don't have equal access under the law. And so that is to me very motivating um, to, to to be able to work on behalf of those those groups. 20 years ago, is this what you imagined yourself to be doing? <laughs> 20 years ago. So let's see, it's a teenager. Like Honestly, when, when, when did this, when did this as, as your life passion uh, yeah. come to come to play? So probably, probably right after college, when I was in DC, I was, I was teaching in DC public schools through Teach for America. And I think it, it was during that experience for the first time where you know, I realized that I wanted to devote my my career towards helping address inequality in our in our in our society. And you know, I was already curious about going to law school. And you know, my dad is a lawyer; very different type of law. Does you know aircraft did aircraft <laughs> financing? Um, but you know, I was sort of thinking about law school already. But it, it was through that experience and seeing um, how how educational opportunities and the disparities there can lead to huge disparities in, in life opportunities more generally um, and wanting to play some role in, in, in addressing those issues. Um, that, that was what motivated me to become sort of a civil rights lawyer or to at least be a public interest lawyer. Uh, and so all through law school, I you know, was part of the education law clinic representing students with special needs. Um, and I, you know, I worked at the Connecticut Legal Services, uh, their housing unit representing people who, low-income tenants who are being evicted. And this was right after the 2009 you know, financial crisis. And there were all those, um, there, there were all these efforts to protect tenants who were in foreclosed homes. And so, yeah, it just over the years, my, my lens became broader though, because I realized originally I thought I was gonna focus on education but then I, I realized the relationship between you know education and housing. You know your educational opportunities are often tied to the zip code in which you are living, and then that leads to broader questions about segregation and and you know our, our pattern of uh, history of racial discrimination in, in the United States. So um, it just kept you know Un, unpacking and and opening and opening and opening mm -hmm. yeah and then i sort of decided you know i'll i'll, I'll just work at an organization that that addresses civil rights issues more broadly and 
you know, the ACLU is one of the preeminent organizations. And so the idea of working for them was very appealing. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. This episode of For the Long Run Podcast is sponsored by Puma. For 75 years, Puma has been pushing sports and culture forward with innovative design and development. We are honored to have Puma supporting this show and supporting the running community at large. My greatest compliment for running shoe is, I didn't think about it once. The purpose of having the right gear is to enable you to do anything you want out there. When I'm running in Puma's Deviate Nitro first mile, all I'm thinking about is literally anything else. I think about the community. I think about why trying hard things is so rewarding. I think about how cute Alfie is. And I think about how much I love tacos. And I think about the big things like how I want to leave each place I inhabit better than I found it. You know what I'm not thinking about? What's on my feet? And that's the best thing about Puma running shoes. They're designed to help you get out there effortlessly so you don't have to worry about what's on your feet. Just need to worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run, all one word, for 20% off. Again, when you support Puma, you're supporting me and the rest of the podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for supporting us. I got to talk about this last season of training for a second. So while training for a CIM, I've hit the highest weekly mileage I've ever hit and highest monthly mileage I've ever hit. What's really cool about that is I feel awesome. I feel like I can just keep running and running and running. And I also have the energy for everything else in life. I haven't gotten sick, even despite those around me getting sick, not even the sniffles for me. And I obviously can't pin this on a single thing, but I've been really diligent about taking Prevanax's Immune Health Plus and Probiotic incredibly diligently. I've been taking that every single day since March and it's helping. So I encourage you to check it out and use code FTLR at checkout for 15% off at Prevanex.com. Is it a good market to buy a home in? What about to sell a home? What even goes on in the housing market? How do you even keep track? Well, good news for you. You don't have to know all the answers if you're interested in buying or selling your home because you can just work with the best realtor around, Lauren Daniels. Whether you're thinking of buying or selling your home, Lauren is your go-to. She treats every client with care and helps make what could be a very scary process, dare I say, fun. Lauren helps you get organized and stay on top of important deadlines and guides you towards the right home for you instead of pushing you towards something that doesn't feel right. Even if you're not ready yet or you're not in the Denver or Boulder area, we highly recommend following Lauren on Instagram because she's always sharing great information about the housing market. Give her a follow at lauren.in.colorado on Instagram. And if you're already ready to start the conversation, give her a shout at ldaniels at milehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehighmodern.com. I want to dive more into your work as well, but I'm super intrigued by what you said about like after your incident, you had... Um, you had to think about what what you were doing here, yeah. And the second chance you may have been given, mm-hmm. uh, and you decided to leave DC and pursue something that you felt to be more meaningful and more contributing towards like moving the the world forward. Yep. A lot of people have these thoughts, and they're like, "Oh, my job! I hate my job. Uh, I don't. I'm just a cog in the system. I don't feel like I'm having an impact." Um, I'm not saying that was the case for you. I'm saying right, right. You, you took steps to have 
an impact and to feel like you're a part of a community and to feel like you're um, you're not you know not taking advantage of the the opportunities that you have. What was that process like? Where you said, okay, maybe my life is pretty good, and I think it can be better, and I think mm-hmm. I can do more, and 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 and. Yeah. What was what was that process like? And the reason I ask is if someone's listening and they're nodding along and saying, "Wow, this is hitting and this resonates." Right. I wonder. I wonder, like, how he actually mm-hmm. made that change. How how did you make that change, or what was the the mental unpacking that you had to go through before you were actually ready? Yeah. Well, so you know, after I after I regained consciousness out of my coma, I. Took, it was a long road to recovery and I had a lot of time to, to reflect. And I remember after I was discharged from the hospital, my mom flew back with me to DC and she stayed with me for a few weeks, just you know, feeding me and taking care of me. Uh, but those days, I mean, I was spending 18 hours a day sleeping, maybe, maybe more. I would sleep for 12, 14 hours straight and then I would wake up and I'd just be napping all day. Um, but when I was awake, I, I remember just sitting on the couch, staring out into um, out the window, and just looking at the clouds. And in, in other words, the the only thing I could really do was reflect or think. And so, you know, just having that space to think about my life, and um, it really became clear from 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 being so close to death, and and realizing that right, you know, it's a very trite saying, but you never know if you'll be here tomorrow. Right. That really hit, you know, it really resonated with me. And um, it just prompted me to reorient how I think about things in the future, right? I, I think I was always someone who is focused on planning ahead and, you know, thinking about the long-term plan. For um, the long run. For the long run, exactly. <laughs> rather than, Always you know, whatever branding. you want to call it. <laughs> rather than sort of focusing on the present or living in the moment. And so, you know, I think I, I, I'm much better at that now. And in order to get where you want to be in life, I think sometimes you do need to take that leap of faith, whatever it may be, and and um, depart from, from the script or the 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 plan that you already have in your head and you know sometimes it just needs to to happen in the now without worrying about the long-term consequences let's say so yeah i mean at the same time you know making this transition wasn't easy uh, e- even when i had made the decision to leave this corporate you know whatever Probably being paid well oh yeah i was being paid you know, um, yes, I was being paid very well. And that, that was hard. That was also hard as well. But, um, you know, I think I'm trying to avoid ever having the golden handcuffs on. Yep. And so uh, my lifestyle now is very different as a nonprofit lawyer. But, you know, a, a, as a lot of people say, it, w- what I value the most isn't necessarily the material things in life. It's the, the experiences and the memories. And, you know, that's also partly why I love um, ultra running. And I love picking races where I get to see the world. And so I'm not one who likes to do the same race over and over again with the limited opportunities that I have to race. Um, you know, if I'm only doing one or two big races a year and I'm already, you know, 36, you know, there, there's a few, few more dozen, several dozen more races, race opportunities that I'm going to have. And so I have to be, you know, selective about what I'm doing with each one. So, yeah. I find it fascinating 
when people pivot in this way. And to me, I feel stasis is the enemy. And mm-hmm. anytime you're comfortable, yeah, you should be afraid because that's where bad things happen in in my opinion and in, in my experience and whether it's in relationships whether it's in work mm-hmm. whether it's in life in general i think that when we get into these places where we feel too comfortable yeah um we get bored and lazy and and we're not doing as much as we can and for some that's totally fine like yep. that's how people choose to live their life it's probably how 80% of america chooses to live its life or 90% and for the most part maybe that's fine but i do feel that the running community in particular mm-hmm. should be afraid of stasis and um we know how to set goals we know how to get uncomfortable and it's a cool opportunity for people to do impactful things and live their life in a way that um, isn't just sort of an even keel. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the ebbs and flows that make things super interesting. Yeah, Maybe too interesting sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, definitely interesting nonetheless. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think people generally tend to think that I'm someone who always sees the glass as half full rather than half empty. And so... I reflect on this experience in on the four pass loop. Uh, you know, I wish it hadn't happened, but to some degree, I'm I'm almost glad that it happened, at least in the way that it did, where I didn't have any long term brain damage or. <laughs> right. Or I, I think yeah, we we'd be, having, lucky. we'd be having a very different conversation <laughs> I if to... I had long term <laughs> brain damage. But um, but the point is, you know, you you learn so much from those failures, right? This this was just you know like maybe failure isn't the right word here, but. The point is you learn from adversity and it's the failures, it's the adversity that gets you out of that stasis because yep. up until then you're sort of on a, on cruise control. Right. And when you have these really jarring life moments, you then have, you know, everything that you thought was secure is no longer secure and you sort of have to reorient and then reprioritize and reevaluate. And that process was so critical for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm again grateful to, to have had that opportunity, even though it came with um, a lot of trauma, a lot of drama, and a lot of you know <laughs> tears. And uh, you know, f- yes, I think my my parents were under a lot of stress, and so so was my uh, then girlfriend and now wife. And uh, I feel bad that you know they had to worry about me for so many days. But um, but yeah, all that being said, it was still a. Uh, I'm grateful for for having had that opportunity to learn from from that really awful incident. Do you think we'd be having this this conversation on Oahu in 2023 <laughs> had you not had that event? Would you still be in DC? Probably still would be in DC. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, it was that incident that prompted me to just do something different um, to really change my life orientation and. Yeah, I, I never, never would have considered moving to Hawaii under really any circumstance. Um, you know, as a lawyer, you sort of gravitate towards these big legal right. job market cities like you know New York, DC, maybe the Bay Area. But um, the thought of being a lawyer in Hawaii just it didn't even really compute, and so would not would definitely we would not be having this conversation had that incident not occurred for sure. It was it. It was the sort of life-defining moment for me. I mean, you know, obviously the day I got married to my wife was very special, (laughs) 
Uh, but as far as the one incident or one experience that really, whatever, changed the course trajectory of my life, I, yeah, I can't think of a more impactful moment. And again, I have mixed feelings about it, but um, ultimately uh, the fact that I was able to draw positive from it and not, not negative. And, you know, even with running too, it would have been very easy to just sort of decide, okay, I'm done not doing ultra running. I'm not going to high altitude. I'm not doing anything like that. But um, I have slowly built back my confidence, my abilities. And, uh, you know, it was a few years after that incident that I did run rabbit run, which is also at high altitude, you know, up, up outside. That's 6,200 feet, a, a more reasonable altitude. Yeah, more reasonable altitude. But, you know, good chunk of the race is at like, you know, 11,000 right. plus. And um, so I did that. And it, the goal wasn't to prove to myself that I could uh, be at altitude again, but you know, that was, a it, it was, it was nice being able to tell myself, oh, you know what, that maybe that was a fluke. And then more recently last summer, uh, I did the Mauna Kea Sea to Summit. So we started at the bay front in Hilo at sea level, touched the water. And then we ran to the almost 14,000 foot summit of Mauna Kea, uh, 42 miles. And uh, just doing that. And that, that was tough. And I felt the altitude by the top, but, um, you know, it, it showed that I can still do really cool things and I don't have to be afraid of altitude. Um, but of course, yeah, I'm, I'm much more cautious about, about altitude and everything. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, how did you get down from that one? So we had it, we had crew. Got it. Okay. Yeah, we had, so, oh yeah, no. You, <laughs> you run it back. No, that would, that would be awful. But um, no, we had picture perfect conditions. I mean, that, that was the most, I think that was one of the most, if not the most meaningful running experience I've had. I think it's more memorable or meaningful than even some of the hundred milers that I've done um, just because going from sea level to 14,000 feet in one stretch and, and seeing, and, you know, being at the top Touch and, the ocean, see and the looking, top. looking over onto the horizon and being like, I started there yeah. this morning. That's so cool. It's kind of a incomprehensible feeling. I was, you know, I was moved to tears when I made it to the summit. And, um, so yeah, I love run, run ventures like that. And definitely as I get older, my priority is going to be doing run ventures with friends and, and less about actually doing races yeah. because I think I derive just as much joy and wonder from, from those run ventures. Totally. I posted on Instagram yesterday that like my why is basically to be able to have, to That's be fit right. enough to have adventures with friends in cool places and yeah. hurt a little bit um, <laughs> and have a lot of fun. One of the things I've noticed about Hawaii is the extreme diversity in terms of the people here. Yeah. Uh, as a white person, I feel like I'm <laughs> potentially in the minority here, which is an interesting feeling as someone who has never felt that. Yep. Um, talk to me about the, the, the people here, the experience of being here, being amongst uh, native Hawaiians, um, people who have been here for generations and everything that, that that entails. There, there's a lot of pride I'm sensing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hawaii is a very, it's, it's a unique place in many, many senses and definitely the people here, very diverse, uh, racially, culturally, you know, along every, every sort of characteristic. And, you know, I think, I think that really makes it a more welcoming place. Um, particularly, yeah, particularly if you're not 
white. Right. <laughs> um, and so that has been that has been a positive. And and now my wife, who is white, she she feels also in the minority. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you know, everyone here is very welcoming, and uh, yeah, it's just it just creates a, an atmosphere and a culture that's very conducive to meeting people and, um, you know, crossing boundaries and, and, and lines of difference. So it was super cool yesterday after our run, or we saw, we saw this guy running who was barefoot and uh, a few of us noticed and, and not much came of it. And then we were getting acai bowls later and we were standing at the back of a gas station parking lot, eating them. And this guy pulled up in his, his beat up old Nissan truck and uh, got out and looked like he wanted to say hello and stood there timidly and then wandered over to us and asked us if we were running up Pupukea. Uh We said we were. And we had a you know 10 minute conversation with this random guy who yep. moved here seven months ago from Florida. I think his name is Jason. Um, and Jason was told us about his first 50K that he trained for barefoot and I don't know. It's just like a different vibe where everyone seems to be friendly, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's not like anything I've I've experienced before. Yeah, very welcoming community. I think in general, and um, for sure. <laughs> Switching gears again, a topic I love to talk about is success and defining success and what does it mean? Um, so before I ramble on on that, what, what does success mean to you? <laughs> How would you define it? How do I define success? Well, you know, sort of as a, as a lawyer, right? Or as a civil rights lawyer, you think about success in sort of two, two aspects or two dimensions. One is, of course, did you achieve sort of the outcome, the ideal outcome. So it's focused on the, the end product or the end, end, end result. But then just as important is the process, how you got there. Did you, did you get to that outcome in a way that was correct and, and you know, correct in, in air quotes? Um, but so I think about that a lot because how you get to where you want to be matters just as much as getting to, to your you know, your successful outcome. So I, I don't know if that, no, I love that, that. <laughs> that was sufficient, but you know, I think about this a lot because uh, when we sue the government, maybe they decide they made the right decision, but the process that the government used to get to that decision was totally irrational or unfair or biased. And in those situations, we can't condone just because it got to a good outcome. We can't condone what happened because um, the process needs to, to matter as well. And so I think that means that, uh, you know, success is also about having integrity, right? Like holding true to your values, your principles. And yeah, you know, the, the, that, that's sort of a very <laughs> abstract definition or, or, or I guess it's not even a definition, but it's more how I think of how I view uh, success is it's not just the, it's not just the what, it's also the, the, the how. Very cool. Yeah, completely agree. It's, it seems to be a, a trend on, uh, in regards to how people answer that question or how they think about the process versus outcome, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, this is a running podcast. We've talked about running for maybe 25% of, of the podcast. <laughs> and uh, I love when that happens because it's more than just, oh, talk to me about your splits. Tell me about right. you know your last workout prior to this race. I think that stuff is interesting, but um, it doesn't 
it doesn't help us move forward. It doesn't help mm-hmm. us learn. It doesn't help us take risks and chances. And that's always my goal with with these conversations. Um, but to to wrap it up and bring it back to running, talk to me about how running puts a nice bow or or wraps everything together in this busy, seems to be pretty fulfilling life that that you lead. Yeah, I mean, I think running is sort of at the foundation of my life to some degree. I mean, I think the, it just keeps me grounded because there's the habit, there's the routine. And then there's also some striking parallels between ultra running and being a civil rights lawyer in that progress is, is very, it takes a long time. Yep. And um, the big goals seem impossible to obtain. And I feel that way right now when it comes to a lot of civil rights issues, especially with uh, the change in the Supreme Court in recent years. Um, but just knowing that you got to put in the work day in, day out, and, and eventually, right, you'll, you'll get to an outcome that you can celebrate. And so there's a lot of, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship, yeah. the, the work that I do as a runner with the work that I do as a lawyer. And I think that's really helpful. And of course... I run to de-stress from work uh, as well. And so there's that there's that aspect. Movement, physical movement is just so essential to keeping grounded and sane. You know, I, I think it's uh, the, being a civil rights lawyer today is a pretty stressful, stressful profession or, you know, um, so my my one my one to two hours each afternoon or each evening i'm a i'm an evening runner rather than a morning runner god bless you i don't know how you do that <laughs> so after finishing a stressful day at work you know getting to unwind on the trails it's just uh, nothing can replace that awesome for those who don't follow you uh where can we find you on your corner of the internet Probably on Instagram. So my handle is Wookie Kim, W-O-O-K-I-E-K-I-M. Um, I don't post super often, but that's my most public <laughs> public social social media platform. Awesome. Wookie, this was a blast. Thanks so much for, for taking some time to chat. And uh, let's, uh, normally I say we'll see you out there, but let's go out there. Yeah, let's, let's go <laughs> hit, hit the beach. Thanks, John. Uh, it was an honor. Of course, likewise. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 